take your Bible and open it to John. In John chapter 1, there's a lot of doctrine, there's a lot of theology, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I know my father-in-law's a pastor. He's a great expositor of the scripture. He, he would probably do a better job than I have on this and could probably take a lot longer. I was just going to the hardware store with him and I said, hey, so I'm going through John. You've been through John. He's like, yeah, it took me three years. Um, and so, <laughs> so with that said, though, when you get out of chapter one, you start to get into some, you know, some events. You know, the first miracle that John records is Jesus at the wedding turning the water to wine. And so that covers a lot of territory, a lot of real estate in the scriptures, so to speak. Uh, so John 1, though, is kind of like almost kind of, you got to take your time with the verse by verse thing. I'm, I'm only saying that because once we get out of um, uh, chapter 1, which we are going to do, Lord willing, today, uh, then it'll kind of speed up a little bit, all right? So if you're trying to run a metric and a, and a scan on how long is this going to take, it'll go faster. But in my point of view, it's not really, it's not a race. I'm not, I'm not really trying to, I'm just trying to listen to the Spirit and encourage people. And we'll also have our theme, which um, Victoria did a wonderful job on that as well, life, you know, love, identity, freedom, encounter. We're still going through that topically, but... We're just kind of getting to know God verse by verse through John chapter 1. So if you're there, starting at verse 47, this might be familiar stuff to you. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile, no deceit. We'll talk about that a little bit. Nathanael said unto him, Well, how do you know me? And I think that's important. How do you know me? not know about me or heard of me. He's saying, there, there's something, I'm not trying to fill in the blanks, but there's something between Nathaniel and Jesus that had been exchanged in their face-to-face meeting here where Nathaniel knew that Jesus knew about him and knew of him without actually meeting him face-to-face. So Jesus answered and said unto him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel, and here's his response, because whatever Jesus said to uh, Nathaniel about Jesus knowing Nathaniel without Nathaniel knowing Jesus, it triggers something in him, and he responds, he says, Rabbi, teacher, master, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And this is an immediate response. I mean, he just, you're it. You ever notice that with some, some people, it, it takes them a long time when you hear people's testimonies to, to come to see Christ as who he is. And other people, it's just, no, I believe Jesus is who he is. And so that's, that's him. He's having this sort of moment where he, the lights turn on. And so Jesus answered and said, and, and you could read this a different way, but I kind of read it as a, as a statement of admiration, Almost like because, you know, he said that about someone else too. He said, I've never seen such great faith in Israel. So he says this in kind of an, admir- an admiration. Because I said unto you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Jesus pulled back the curtain a little bit. But he's going to pull back the curtain a whole lot of it in 51. He said unto him, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
angels ascending and descending. I think in, it's interesting that in this account we, we read of, you know, you're an Israelite whose Israel comes from Jacob because Jacob was renamed to Israel. But then you have Jacob's ladder right here as well. And so we're going to talk about that. And for me, when I go back to the Old Testament, when I'm reading the scriptures, because we read last week, um, he said, let's see where we see it. Philip, verse 45, Philip finds Nathanael and said unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's saying all the Old Testament, it might be Christ concealed and you go to the New Testament, it's Christ revealed. But when you go back to the Old Testament, you could see, you could insert Jesus and say, oh, that makes perfect sense. And so what I'm trying to say here, I'll just tell you what I'm going to say and just say it. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the ladder. He's the ladder. So that mysterious ladder you read about with Jacob in the Old Testament in Genesis, and we'll read it, and you're like, what does that even mean? The angels of God ascending and descending. And, and Jacob, you took, I wish I would have thought about this earlier, but I have a my pillow that I won from work. Does anyone have a my pillow? Well, it's my my pillow. It's not your pillow. It's my my pillow. And they are pretty soft, and they are pretty comfortable, right? Um, <laughs> but Jacob, as you'll see in the story here, as we go back to Genesis, he grabs a stone for a pillow. That's not my pillow, right? Um, anyways, let's pray, and then we'll look at some Old Testament um, examples, and then we'll hopefully, Lord willing, see that Jesus is the latter, and then hopefully apply it to us today in a comfort that we have access we have access to God because we're in Christ. We're, we're, we're in Christ. Christ is in us. We, we have a connection between the unseen and the seen, heaven and earth, because Jesus, he's the matrix. He's the go-between. He's the connection. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could gather uh, safely in this wonderful building that you provided for us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit, as he, as he illuminates hearts and, and reveals things about who you are, uh, I, I know you're the truth, you're the comforter, uh, you're the guide, you're the teacher. I just pray that you would uh, just teach us uh, who you are and what it means for us to be connected to you, the latter. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile and no deceit. In other words, he's saying, an Israelite in whom is no Jacob. An Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. There's no guile. There's no manipulation. There's no trickery. And you know the story of Jacob back in the Old Testament. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how he deceived his father to get the blessing, and he was always working the angles. And his name, Jacob, means supplanter. It means deceiver. It also means heel catcher. And you'll see that here in a moment as we look at a, a passage in Genesis. Um, but I think it's interesting that the one who has authority to name something or rename something has the, th the authority over that which is named. For example, in Genesis, God said, I'm giving you dominion. Name the animals. Well, who then has control or who has authority over the animals when he said that to Adam? Jesus comes along and says, your name's no longer Saul. It's Paul. Who has that authority? Right? I can't go to Joe. Joe, don't like it. 
too basic, right? Joe. <laughs> um, yo, Joe. Gee, Joe. I mean, let's change it. Um, let's change it to... <laughs> Rasputin. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, I don't have that authority, but if, so, if someone came along and changed your name and you submitted to that, then you're granting authority. For example, we have an animal, um, a cat. Uh, we can't have any dogs or else we would, uh, but we have a cat and his name is Mr. Pickles. Okay. But who named him in our house? Was that, who gave it? Was that you, Jennifer? So Jennifer has authority over the cat. I don't have authority over this cat at all. And I want to thank Maddie, because when we were gone, um, <laughs> we get this phone call, and we're like six hours away uh, in Yosemite, and she says, oh, by the way, you locked your cat in your bedroom. And we're like, oh, no. And I, all I'm thinking of is he's going to do his business on my pillow like he always does, you know? <laughs> and, um, but she was able to get in and rescue Mick, Mr. Pickles, so... But no one has authority over him. I mean, he's a cat. He just does his own thing. Even though we named him, he doesn't, he doesn't care. But I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. I think it'll be up here. Yeah. So here's the account where Jacob gets his name changed. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And and he said unto him, what is your name? And he's not asking for information. He's asking for confession. You realize when Jesus asks questions, he's not asking for information because he knows everything. He's only asking to get a confession because his name means deceit. And he said, Jacob, or like, hey, I'm a deceiver. (laughs) Then he said unto him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And so when you think about it, Israel then has the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, which would have been Jacob, but God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. So when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said unto him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, there's no Jacob in you. You get the connection there? You're not like Jacob, but you're a real Israelite. You're, you, have real, you have a real connection. And so we too, the application to us would be, we too are once lost, alienated, outside of the fold, in darkness, in our sins, without our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you're a believer. But for those of us that put our faith alone in Christ alone, we have a new identity, we have a new heart, we have a new eternal relationship with the one who adopted us into his family, given us his name, and now we are called Christians. You could not be called a Christian without Christ. You can't give yourself the name Christian, by the way. If you don't know Jesus, please don't call yourself a Christian. What makes us a Christian is not our activity doing Christian things. Anyone could do that. We lived in Utah for 13 years, started a church there. You know, there's people that did more Christian things than Christians that I know. So it's not just the, the works and the motions that you go through that makes you a Christian. It's actually having Christ. So when you have Christ, 
If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. But now that you are a Christian, you have a new name, which means you have a new identity, which means you have a new Lord. He has authority over us because we're connected to him. We're no longer known by who we were, but who we are. And so Jesus could say to us, you know, an, an Israelite or a Christian indeed in whom is no uh, deceit, who we used to be. He knows us for who we are. Now look at this next passage, verse 48 of John chapter 1. Nathanael said unto him, how do you know me? How do you know me? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. So when we see these things, these little snippets or revelations of who Christ is and how he's trying to convey himself and how he's relating uh, to the world, the seen world, it can be both comforting and uncomforting to know that God knows you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it could be comforting and uncomforting because he knows everything about you. God knows your future. He knows your past. He's in your present. He knows everything that we're going through. And again, that could, that could be good or bad, depending on how you look at that. It should be a good thing. It should be a comfort to us Christians because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us. But he was in our past. He's already in our future. The great I am that Jesus refers himself to, the, the Old Testament refers to God, he means the ever-present one. The ever-present one. In every place and time and every time and place the ever-present one, right? God knows the number of, uh, of hairs on your head. It's got an easy task with some people, easier. Um, and he knows your prayers, he knows your tears, he knows your fears. Christ knows all the good, the bad, and the ugly about us all. Here's the thing, yet he still loves you. We're driving back from Oakhurst, and I wanted to take our kids down memory lane to see where old mom and pa met. And um, there's this little tiny town um, called, um, Way or no, not Waverly, uh, um, Aubrey. And so I ministered there for about seven years, Aubrey Baptist Church. is a little church on an Indian reservation. And um, so my wife and I, 21 years ago, uh, met at this little coffee shop. And so we took him down this windy road. And this road, mind you, it took an hour for me to get from her. The mileage is only 20, 20 miles, but the road is just switchbacks through the Sierra Mountains. Beautiful. You could see mountain lions at times, deer all the time. You see them all the time. Um, so very beautiful in the Sierra Mountains, just driving, but it took forever. And I was trying to see, I was trying to show our kids, I'm like, look, look at how much we love each other. We drive this all the time. And, um, and then we got out, Jenny and I got out, we took a selfie by the coffee shop to where we first met. And, um, but here's the thing. She didn't know me. <laughs> and I didn't know her really. And isn't, isn't it true that when you are first dating or getting to know someone, 
I mean, you want to put on your best cologne, your best clothes, your best foot forward. You want to keep all the skeletons in the closet. You don't want anyone to know anything about you, right? Because you want them to like you. If they knew everything about you, they probably wouldn't like you, right? So you got to be a little Jacob with them at first. And so uh, it just just reminded me of that. I wish I had the picture. I would have thrown it up there. Um, But my point is this. God knew everything everything about you, everything about you, all of your skeletons and dirty laundry, as I put in air quotes, he knew it all, and yet he still pursued you as his bride. He still pursued you. Even while we're yet sinners, Christ died for you. He loved you, right? He knew it all, and in spite of that, he still pursued you in love. It's like Hosea going after Gomer. Uh, he knew it all, but still in love, right? And so all I'm saying is that God knows everything about us, everything about everyone, and he still chooses to demonstrate his love, to share his life, to extend you uh, the free gift that he has to offer in spite of who we are. And so I want to show you, uh, and John actually is the apostle that kind of elaborates more on this attribute more than any of the other uh, gospel writers or New Testament authors. So let's just kind of take a little journey through John to see how John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, points out that Jesus has omni-attributes. He's omnipresent, we know that. He's omnipotent, he's all power. But this is, he's all-knowing. He knows the, the secrets. He knows the inward thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. And this is what, this was one of the things that got Nathaniel to say, you're the Christ, you have to be God. Because who could do that? And so look at John chapter 2, verse 24. It'll be up there on the screen. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Again, that could either scare you or cause you to rejoice, right? Thank you, Jesus. You knew me, but yet you still love me? You still wanted to spend eternity with me? You still wanted to give me the keys to the kingdom? What? Don't you know me? You want to give me the keys to the kingdom? Look at John 5, 24. But I I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. Of course, John 5 is a dialogue between him and the religious um, elite of the day, the Pharisees. He does that same argument in John 8. But in John 6, of course, this is the chapter where they got fed and they followed Jesus and they thought, let's go get some more free lunch. And Jesus preaches this hard sermon. And he says, there's some of you here that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Of course, he knew Judas, but he also knew the 5,000 that followed him. And he preached this sermon. He went from 5,000 down to 12 with one message. And then he even goes from 12 to 11, of course, because one, he knew that too. He knew, he knew, he knew, and he still loved them. Even with Judas, he knew, and he still, on the night he was betrayed, he takes, he takes some food and offers it to him, almost as like, I know, but you still have an opportunity if you want it. When he dipped the food in the sop. John sixteen thirty. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask you. By this we believe that thou came from God. So again, John is really kind of dialing in on the omniscience of 
of Jesus. He, he knows all things. Here's his dialogue at the end of the gospel with Peter. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know all things. And so he had spent three years with them. And Peter knows that Jesus knows all things. That's how much he knows, at least. He knows that Jesus knows. What kind of, you know... So is Jesus, this is just, he knows that Jesus knows everything, and he's kind of surrendered to his omniscience. He's like, Jesus, I know that you know my heart. I know that you know me. Wouldn't it be rad to just have a relationship with God like that? God, you, are you open with God like that? I am. God, you know me. You know my heart. You know I messed up, or you know I don't. You know me, God. You know my intentions. You know my motives, right? And so he, Peter had that, he had that thing going on. He said, I know that you know me. Um, and he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. Thou knowest that I love you. So Jesus said, I know. Feed my sheep. I know. Asking for confession, not information. He knew. He knew. He knew. Let's change gears to the Old Testament. We had this conversation in the car. And um, I said, Chloe, I was just studying this verse. Because we're talking about, you know, you get around some family member. And sometimes you feel judged, I guess. You know, she was feeling that a little bit. Um, and I said, well, here, let me encourage you with this verse. And so, First uh, Samuel 16, but the Lord, uh, and you know this, uh, when, when David's about ready to mount the throne, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or in the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the, the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. The Lord doesn't see as man sees. Why? He could penetrate right into your heart. He could see the, the thoughts and the intents, the motives. He knows it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't know what this is doing for you, if it makes you feel uncomfortable or <laughs> if it makes you feel like you want to lean into this a little bit more and like almost like an attitude of gratitude. Well, good. I'm glad you know me. At least someone does. I could be honest with you, God. I could be real with you. You know me. My, my heart is open to you. I can't hide anything from you. And you still love me. And I love you in response. I like this First Chronicles passage too. In verse um, chapter 20, 28, verse 9. And now, Solomon, my son, uh, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with the perfect heart and with the willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. He knows all of your thoughts, your imaginations, your dreams. He knows your dreams. Might he, he might have even been the one to give you the inspiration to go that direction anyways. I want you to, if you would, if you have your Bible, Turn back to one, uh, one of the Psalms, Psalm 139, and you might have already been running, running, the, running the wheels in your head saying this is a perfect chapter to go along with what, what Nathaniel's encountering with Jesus. So he says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel says, Jesus, how did you know me? You, we haven't even had a conversation, and you know these things about me intimately? In other words, is the implication... How did you know this? Well, the psalmist knew this about God. And look at Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. 
Thou knows my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understands my thought afar off. You compass my path and my lying down on her and acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it altogether. Thou hast beset me uh, behind and before and, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Whither shall I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend up to heaven, you are there. Now this is, is om, omnipresence, right? And he says, um, And if I make my bed in hell or Sheol or the grave, behold, thou art there. Um, if I take uh, the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there uh, shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me, yea, the darkness hides not from you. But, uh, but the night shines as the day and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. This is his response to God's omniscience, right? This is David responding. Your knowledge is, he said, is too wonderful for me to comprehend that you know every single thing intimately about me. He says, for I will praise you, verse 14, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. For my substance was not hid uh, from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written. Uh, which in the continuance were fashioned uh, when yet as there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the number of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Surely, uh, well, I'm going to stop there because then it gets ugly. But um, (laughs) I just think his response is so awesome when he when he considers how God knows every tiny detail. So you think you're just here by chance. It's just random. It just some explosion happened some billions of years ago that no one was here that saw, but we all, you know, most people would say, yeah, it was the size of a period on a page of a paper, you know. Times font New Roman 12, about that big. And then all the energy and all the life and all the world was there, and then it exploded, and then everything spun, and you know, and then you're here, right? And so what he's saying is, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. I'm not here by an accident. This creator isn't just, you know, some impersonal, distant creator. He is so intimately connected and concerned about you. I just had this conversation at the barbecue yesterday um, with a bunch of church people um, that, that uh, Jen and I, she grew up with and I came to know. You know, it was Drew I was talking to. <laughs> when I proposed to Jennifer, um, Drew was the bass player at her dad's church and I came in wearing a mask. It was an old bum mask or an old, old, just decrepit, scary looking face and I had beer can tied with um, uh, like a fishing line and toilet paper hanging off and I came in and she thought I was at uh, my church in Aubrey that hour long drive away and I came walking in and the bass player the music team was playing 
And her dad and I um, had it already set up where if, if Jennifer would come and kiss this, you know, guy, this toad would turn into a prince type of thing. She didn't know it, and this is how I was proposing to her. So I come walking in, and Drew, Drew didn't know this whole thing was going down, and he's the bass player. He was going to grab his bass and just hit me with, <laughs> like karate chop me with this bass, and bass guitars are heavy. Um, and then, uh, of course, what's she going to say in front of 300 people? No right? That's why I did it. <laughs> so she came forward, and she had no idea. How did you know it was me eventually? Oh, okay. And then she came, and she went, she went forward with it, and then I got on my knee, and then, you know, will you marry me? And so it was kind of cool, I guess. Um, at least 21 years ago, I thought it was, but <laughs> it's kind of lame now that I just repeat it. But <laughs> so I was talking to Drew yesterday, the bass player that was going to take me out, right, at the <laughs> 21 years ago when I was about ready to propose with this dramatic uh, expression of it. And we were talking about just, and he survived some near-death experiences from cancer lately, and he's just putting some things in perspective. And we're talking about the vastness of God and just how incredible God is. And I was reminded of that when I was reading through these, this psalm, that God is just you know, we're insignificant in the scheme of things, but we're significant because we are the apple of God's eye. We are the pinnacle of his creation. He could have chose to put, he says, earth is his footstool. He sits on the circle of the earth. There's so many other planets out there. There's so much else going on, yet God said, nope, you're the apple of my eye. There's so much more he's created. He's going he's gonna to have a communion with us, he's a relationship with us, and when it's all done, he's going to roll it up like a scroll, and then we're going to be with him throughout all of eternity. So I just had a great conversation talking with Drew about our significant insignificance, if you can put it that way. So this God, this, this all-knowing God, he, you know, he wants just to know us and for us to know him and to have this relationship. So to the redeemed, this translates into our rejoicing. But to the unregenerate, the unredeemed, this turns into a state of rejection and fearful denial of a one-day reckoning that will soon come. To Nathaniel, in the story that we're reading here, this meant that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. And to Jesus... This meant this is an opportunity to show and reveal even more of his deity and omni-attributes. So let's look at the last passage in our starting text in John chapter 1. We'll look at verse 51 here. So he said, and he said unto him, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So Jesus is amazed that Nathanael responds with such quick faith. I believe you're the Christ. Man, this is amazing. You know everything about me? You know me without knowing me? And of course, Jesus didn't have Google, right? He didn't do a Google background search. He just knew him because he knows everyone. And so, like we mentioned last week, in the Old Testament, we see Christ concealed, and in the New Testament, we see Christ revealed. So remember, uh, Philip mentioned that Jesus was the main subject of the entire word. He said, we had found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And this is the same Philip, incidentally, that in Acts chapter 8, the member of the Ethiopian eunuch that was going back to Ethiopia, uh, Ethiopia, he's reading Isaiah 53. 
And Philip was instructed by the Holy Spirit to go connect himself with him. And he says, what are you reading? He's like, I don't know, unless someone could teach me. And then Philip started there, and the Bible says he started preaching to him Jesus. And he gets saved, this, this Ethiopian eunuch. He gets saved. So that's under the ministry of Philip. It's like Philip is bringing people to Christ all the time, right? You don't read much about him. But the things that you do read about him, he's an evangelist, man. He's bringing people to Christ. And so he's telling people. Philip was the one that brought Nathaniel. And um, he's the one that said, hey, the whole Old Testament was about Jesus. So I want to pick this story up where I said Jesus is the latter. Go back with me to Genesis chapter uh, 28. And let's see uh, where this is first mentioned. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're assuming Moses penned the first five books of the Bible. And so he's recording this story here, this account, um, also with Jacob. And in uh, chapter 28 of Genesis, starting in verse number 10, and Jacob went out to Beersheba and went to Haran, and it lightened upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set, and he took, uh, took of the stones of that place, and he put them uh, there for his my pillow. And he lay, <laughs> he lay down in that place to sleep. I'm so glad we have an American-made MyPillow manufacturing company. Could you imagine it? Try to sell like, hey, this is granite from Yosemite, okay? It's perfectly shaped to fit your head, okay? I'm selling granite pillows. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I'll get off that. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, uh, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land wherein you liest. To thee I will give it thee unto your seed. And to your seed shall all as all the dust of the earth, and thou shalt be spread about to the west, the east, and the north, to all the south, and these shall uh, all the families, notice that, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because Jesus is the seed, singular, promised, and he came to uh, you know, be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And it's like the angels of God were ascending and descending. They were coming from heaven to earth. And this miraculous virgin birth took place so that when he would, you know, give his life a ransom for any and all, that they would place their faith and trust in him. You would pass from death to life and then you would receive the seed. Um, and then you would receive the one. And then all the nations... It doesn't matter. It's a whosoever will gospel. That's what he's talking about. That through your family line, the promised Messiah is going to come and he's going to be the one that all the nations, all the families of the earth uh, will be blessed, which is the mystery that we're talking about last week, right? Neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, bond nor free, we're all one in Christ. Equal at the foot of the cross. So, Jesus is the latter. Jesus is the ladder. Christ is the portal, the path, the escalator, and the person of entrance. I mean, everyone could probably quote this, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Now, when you think of a ladder... You know, you think, I, I got the ladder out and put it up there. And when you're at the top of the ladder, you're like, oh, man, can someone hold this ladder? How many ladder deaths are there a year, you know, or injuries? Um, 
I had a friend that worked at Little, Little Giant Ladder Company, and he, he knew all the numbers of, about ladder injuries and stuff. But you climb up and you climb down. This is before escalators. This is before elevators. But if there was a ladder into heaven, a literal ladder that you could climb, and it was, I don't know, um, let's just say a billion miles, right? And it would take you, I don't know, 100 years to get there. If you, if you started from the first moment you could climb a ladder, I would venture to say in this church, some people would get further than others in their lifetime. But do you think anyone would get there at all? No. What are you going to do about sleep? What are you going to do about food? I mean, if your whole life was just climbing a ladder to, end up, to get into heaven, it's like trying to swim from here to Japan. You know, some might get pretty far, but no one's getting all the way, right? <laughs> to get to Japan, you'd need someone to actually come and get you and place you into a safe vessel and take you there. So it is with the ladder. This isn't a ladder that you climb to get closer to God. This is a ladder that just kind of reveals that Jesus is the, he's the connection between heaven and earth. He's the one that, that came from the unseen world to the seen world. And the unseen place where he's at existed forever. The seen world where we're at is temporary at best. He's penetrating the tangible from the intangible to reveal there's a way. There's a connection. There's a portal. There's a, you know, I don't even know what to call it. There's this, there's this umbilical cord, if you will, that dropped down from heaven that if you connect Christ, you can be eternally saved. And I like to think of this as an escalator. Once you entered into Christ, you don't have to do any work. You're going to heaven based on you know, your faith alone and Christ alone. It's not a works-based ladder. Jesus is trying to reveal that he is the go-between God and man. See, religion, of course, this is also the the fallacy of the Tower of Babel to think that they could make a tower to ascend into heaven based on their own good works. I think that's back in Genesis 11. That was the fallacy of modern-day religion as well. But religion is basically man's effort to try to reach up and to get into heaven based on their own good works. Whereas we see pictured from this ladder that the opposite is true with Christianity. It's God reaching down from heaven to man. And it's pictured as a ladder. And he sees the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So Christ, when he's giving this story, was not only on earth uh, when he was revealing this unto Nathaniel, but he was also in heaven. And the connection between the seen and the unseen. I think there's a kind of a forgotten passage in John. I want to point this out to you. Look at John chapter 3, as it'll be verse 12. And he's having this discussion with Nicodemus. Unless you be born again, you cannot see it in the kingdom of God. And he's like, How do you, you don't even know these things and you're a teacher of Israel, he's saying right before this. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Here's the latter. He's trying to reveal the seen and the unseen, right? He's, he's given, he's like, I'm the one, I came from heaven. But look at what he says. No one has ascended up into heaven except he who came down from heaven the Son of Man who is in heaven. Look at the tense. Jesus is saying, I'm here in front of you, but I'm also in heaven at the same time, simultaneously. I want to tell you something about who your identity is. If you read Colossians, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, if the tense is read correctly, 
we are seated with Christ in heavenly places currently. I don't know how to figure that one out because I'm pretty sure I'm here right now. Unless this whole thing is the matrix. I don't even know anymore. But <laughs> he's trying to say that this, because of this ladder that goes between heaven and earth, there's a connection where you could be you know, in two places at one time if that's even possible. But Jesus is not just teaching about his, um, uh, his omnipresence and his omniscience to show off as some easy magic trick to the world, but so that the world would see that God loves them. And we're not here by random chance. We are created for a purpose, and that's to get to know the Creator, the one who could be here, there, and everywhere. And God is that purpose. That's why in the very next passages after these, um, he gives one of the greatest gospel invitations to whosoever would receive it. So let's look at these passages. I know you know these, but sometimes we, we miss the verses before and after, so I wanted to put those in there too. But even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, now he's using an example from Numbers. And when they're in the wilderness wanderings, when they left Egypt to go into the promised land, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And you know that story where they were getting bit, and, and if they looked, they would live. Just the simple thing, look and live. You don't have to work for it, just look and live. And so Jesus is giving, he's giving that example, like this is how easy it is to get saved. You just look, you just believe. So that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I like verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And here's the black and white. You want to know what the unpardonable sin is? Well, here it is. He who believes on him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. You want to know what separates you from God from all of eternity? Your unbelief. It's the only thing that will condemn you. So, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But this ladder that descended didn't come with, you know, bags of condemnation, dynamite, and he he could have came down and just blew everyone up or set everything on fire or condemned everyone to hell. He didn't do that. He came out of love. He came because he wanted to reconcile his creation, the, the thing that he loves out of all the universe uh, to the creator. So I want to just kind of throw up this graph. I borrowed this from my buddy. He just gave it to me the other day, and I said, oh, that's good. I want to, I want to rip that off. He said, go ahead. Problems, hate, solution, gospel. Problem, pain. Well, I don't even know if I have to keep reading. You could, you've probably read it already, but, you, you know, you get it. Sin, division, identity, anxiety, separation, emptiness. This could keep going. This could keep scrolling down. And you get it. The solution and the answer is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. I want to close with this. Why? Because, look at this next slide. Every single time. I think if you put it like that, it makes more emphasis, right? Every single time, every single age, Every single culture is God, Jesus, this ladder, the gospel, the solution. So just some concluding thoughts, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. 
in some prayer, and then we'll be sent down the way. But God knows you, Christian. And God knows you if you don't have the name Christian. So I ask you, do you know God? He knows you. He knows you. And that could either disturb you or comfort you. And I have to ask, is your name written in the book of life? How does it get there? Simply believe. Jesus, I know you know I'm a sinner. You know everything about me. Will you forgive me? Will you come into my heart and give me that free gift of eternal life? Boom. Pass from death to life. Name's written in the book of life. Now your, your, your purpose that you were designed for can now be, you know, it can be now realized in your relationship with God. Have you hopped on the Jesus escalator <laughs> into heaven from earth? That's how, look, you can't climb there. You can't get there on your own. You need to get into Jesus. He's the portal. He's the ladder. And he takes you there for free, right? Be of good courage, Christian. God knows your hurt, your pain, your worries, your struggles. We're not alone. God is with us. With that said, my, I guess my challenge for us, and me too, is to let's go be the church and invite people unto Christ the latter. He's not prejudiced. He wants, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should get on the ladder, right? And have the free entrance into heaven. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to be without his love and his life. He's, he's not fragile. He's not like uh, insecure or what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he's, he's, he's good with who he is. And so, he wants to give, and he wants everyone on the ladder, which is Jesus. Amen? So let's do this. Let's stand, and let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could understand who you are, because you, you wrote it. You inspired it in your word. I'm so glad Scripture interprets Scripture, and I'm so glad, Lord, that you could teach us by your Spirit. For anyone here that does not yet know you, as Lord, as the latter might seem weird to them, but um, uh, just I just my prayer is that they would just know that your life, and that if, re- if they receive you by faith into their heart, that they would pass from this life into heaven to be with your eternal life forever and ever and ever. For us that are saved, that that already know you and you know us. May we rejoice in that. May we cast our care upon you because you know all of our pains. You know our struggles. And may you also, Lord, just motivate us as a church to go out into the community with masks on and six feet apart and share your word uh, with whoever um, on the highways and the byways. And I pray that for me and the church as well. In Jesus' name, amen.